Welcome to New in Nashville. This is your host, Elam Freeman. I'm a commercial real estate broker and yoga instructor based in Nashville, Tennessee, and I am a Nashville native who has spent time living in Los Angeles and Washington, D.C. I have also traveled to all 50 states and visited nearly every U.S. metropolitan city bigger than Nashville. I am crazy about Nashville's growth and want natives, newcomers, and tourists to have the knowledge they need to keep up with our city's pace. Today's guest is Disney Petit. Disney is one of the founding members of the Civic Labs team at Postmates, the on-demand company that gets you everything you need whenever you need it. After joining Postmates in 2013, Disney worked to build the customer service team from the ground up, launch new Postmates markets such as Seattle, New York, D.C., and Chicago, co-build their sales team, opening up a new stream of revenue for the company through the Postmates Partner Program, start up a new customer service sales and operations office in Nashville, Tennessee, and in the summer of 2017, co-created the Civic Labs team Postmates Social Responsibility Arm. Today, we're here with Disney from Postmates, and I met Disney a couple months ago at Open Streets. I had a booth on the street, and so did Postmates, and walked over. I think they were giving out free fruit and was curious about what um, was going on and their different initiatives that it looked like they were highlighting. And from there, she allowed me to come over to Postmates and take a tour of their office at Cummins Station um, and told me a little bit more about the work that she is has done uh, in the past and is currently doing for Postmates. And I thought it was so interesting that I wanted to share with all the listeners. So welcome, Disney. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So tell us a little bit about why you moved to Nashville and the pros of cons of moving to Nashville for you. Yeah, absolutely. So I moved to Nashville about three years ago. I had actually been living in Los Angeles for one year, and previous to that, I'd been living in San Francisco or in Oakland for about eight years before that. So California for a long time, and then got a call uh, from our CEO and our co-founder at Postmates who said, hey, we want to move our office to Nashville. You led our customer service efforts at Postmates uh, for I I guess I should back up because I wasn't working at Postmates for a minute um, because I'd left to go work at an animal protection nonprofit in L.A. Um, But they asked if I would come back, move to Nashville, start our customer service facility uh, here. And uh, I said, that sounds like a really awesome opportunity. I think that Nashville has a lot to offer. Seems like a really great community of people uh, that we would be able to work with. And uh, so I moved to Nashville. That's awesome. So how was that transition for you living in California for so long and then moving to a completely different city where you didn't know many people? Yeah, it was definitely an interesting transition. Uh, Growing up in Florida, I had a little bit of similarity, the weather, uh, some of the people, some of the activities were similar to having lived in Florida growing up until I was about 20. Um, But a lot of things about the culture were different, but we were still able to 
uh, find a community of people here who were interested in building a lot of the things we were interested in building, working somewhere where we provided these benefits, people who were interested in working on building a volunteer program, getting out into the community, um, making our offices as fun and as friendly and as great of a place to work as possible Uh, and it was just really cool to be able to build that with so many people that we were meeting here who wanted to work for a company like ours that's cool being in nashville have you found uh, people that work for other businesses or other business leaders maybe that have relocated here from a larger city that are kind of like-minded in the way that they try to build office culture or the things that they value within the office yeah We definitely have. We have a coalition of people that seem to show up at all the same events and all the same meetings that have become my friends over time. And being able to work in this space where it's a startup and a lot of people who moved out here from California who are trying to implement certain things that can help with work-life balance, um, like massages in the office or free snacks or whatever the perk might be that might be a new concept to traditional businesses. Uh, There's a lot of different people. We have a great community of people at Lyft and Eventbrite um, that we work with. Their tech ladies chapter here in Nashville uh, has been really cool to partner with. Um, And then also a lot of the nonprofits we work with uh, are super cool to meet with and talk to about different sustainability measures, things that we've implemented that we have tested and tried to implement into our offices that work really well on a, maybe like a smaller budget. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that we wanted to do when we started our social impact team at Postmates was to be able to do it on a $0 budget (laughs) so that we could show other companies that No matter what size you are, whether you have five employees or 500 employees, whether you um, hire one person to handle this or you just have someone who's stepping up to start kind of a social impact idea or a social impact team or some companies call them green teams, uh, that you can do it on a very limited budget. Uh, So now that we've had this program in existence for about a year and a half, we are getting a a larger budget. We're having more... um, more ability to do different things, to sponsor different activities, to host different events, uh, which has all been really awesome. But we've proven that it can be done with a small budget. And I think that nonprofits love to hear kind of some of the the tips and tricks that we've done to get there. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, So give us a quick synopsis about Postmates and what sets you apart from your competitors. For sure. So Postmates is the largest on-demand delivery platform. We are available in 450 cities across the U.S. and also in Mexico City. We do about three and a half million deliveries a month at this point. Uh, So it's a lot of deliveries. We have over 100,000 couriers in our fleet. Uh, And we have about 250,000 restaurants that we partner with. So the biggest difference between us and our competitors, other than the volume that we do, is going to be that we will deliver from anywhere. So we do have restaurant partners uh, that can sign up with us. We have an entire sales team and an account management team dedicated to supporting those restaurants that do decide to partner with us. Uh, But even if this restaurant or location doesn't partner with us, a customer can still get a delivery from those locations. They're just going to pay a premium for it. Gotcha. 
So can people get deliveries from, like, non-food deliveries? Like, if someone needs to get some toothpaste <laughs> from Walgreens. For sure. I have done that many times. Um, so about 80% of the deliveries on our platform are going to be prepared to go food from restaurants. That is the majority. And the other 20% is going to be retail. So gifts, things like items from Walgreens, um, clothing, other retail items from local stores. So the way that we view it is that the city is the warehouse. So instead of having a facility that things are being shipped in and out of, um, we are actually just going to local stores. Local people are profiting from that um, on both sides, the fleet and the merchant. And then the customer in that community is getting that item. Cool. So for listeners that haven't used Postmates before, how does that interface work? Because like if you're a partner with a restaurant, I guess like their menu is on your platform. But let's say someone wants a, you know, specific shirt from a, you know, local boutique. How does that interface work with the person, the Postmates driver and the customer? Sure. So the way that it works is that the customer would open the Postmates app uh, and they would type in the name of the location that they want to order from. And if there is no menu there for that location, there is going to be an option for them to add a custom item. So they would tap on that. It's going to allow them to add a photo so they could upload a photo of the item that they saved from online or um, that they had a photo of for whatever reason. Uh, and then they're going to be able to type in a description of the item and about what they think it costs mm-hmm. so that the Postmate is going to get all of that information when they show up at the store. Mm-hmm. And they can either find the item um, if if it's easy for them to do or they'd be able to ask a clerk and have all of the information. So it's kind of like you're sending a text to your friend to yeah. say, hey, actually, can you pick this item up for me? Right. And uh, then they would also be able to interact with the customer if they need needed to. Uh, okay. we, we have some <laughs> we have some customers who will tweet at our customer service team about how their postmate was FaceTiming them to pick out the best onesie at Target that they wanted. I mean it's yeah. it's funny <laughs> how some some postmates get really into it. So uh, that's always really fun when they get so involved. Yeah, no, that's cool. How about the reverse? So like for example, last night I had to overnight something um and had to go to FedEx and I had to get it there by eight. So if I had have um, been at a time crunch and wanted someone to make that commute for me, would I have been able to call Postmate? In a previous world of Postmates, I think that would have been possible. But with how much we've grown and how much our app has progressed, as well as the feedback that we were getting from the Postmates who we, we do listen to and try to implement things that will help them make more money, help them make their routes more efficient, um, things like that. Picking up from a home location isn't really possible anymore. Uh, it's mostly going to be something going from a restaurant or a retail store, like mm-hmm. a merchant and establishment, right. going to a different location that is usually a business or another or or a home residence. Yeah. Um, so not something that we we really do today. Um, but with that being said, we love our API. Mm-hmm. Our API allows um, restaurants and businesses to sign up and use our logistics platform. So mm-hmm. actually have access to our fleet and be able to move things around a city. So Apple, for example, 
Um, it's a great API partner. Um, we have a lot of really cool restaurants using our API for this program we have called Food Fight mm -hmm. um, that allows some of the restaurants in LA that we partner with uh, to press a button and have us come pick up their leftover food and take it to local shelters. Uh, so we've really been working on making our API more accessible and more available so that people can move things around their city using this this pre-existing fleet. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, so tell us a little bit more about the opportunity for tech companies to build community-oriented tech on top of their existing infrastructures. Because I know that's something you have been very invested in with Postmates and how easy and cheap it is to start a volunteer program and the benefits that come along with that. Right. So that's what I'm doing now. So uh, with our program, which we call Civic Labs, which is our CSR or Corporate Social Responsibility Social Impact Team, it has a lot of different names depending on who's running the program um, at what whatever company size it is. So we call our Civic Labs because we look at it as a team that can experiment with things. People can bring ideas to us where we will say, okay, that's a really interesting idea. Let's see how we can pilot it. How can we hack this thing to work so that we can test it? And if it works, let's find employees who want to volunteer their time to build this really cool product or this really cool feature. Uh, and that has been super rewarding to think about how can we use our technology for good and I think that if a lot of companies were to just take a little bit of time and talk to employees that are building the core of their business on a daily basis, these employees have already thought about great ways that their technology could be implemented in other more unique ways. I mean, just to give an example, I think that Airbnb has done this really unique thing. Um, and I don't know if who, who at their company came up with this concept, but they have a way for when there's an when there's a disaster you can actually go onto Airbnb and offer your home or your room or a room in your home um, for free for people cool. who are fleeing that disaster and as there's so you know many disasters we could sit here and talk about but like let's think about that's a huge cost that a lot of people are not planning for a hurricane a wildfire a tornado these things are super devastating and to have a free place to go is so helpful. Yeah. And for people to open their homes in a convenient and safe way, it this matching technology is what people need to think about is technology has its ups and downs. It is changing the way that we move through the world on a daily basis. So what can what can companies that are already accessing all of this data, this information, these people, customers, fleet, restaurants, whatever it is, there's a way that each company could tap in to that system and do something good with it. Yeah, that's really amazing. I, I think it's really inspirational because it's, it's not hard to find employees who want to do these things, who are willing to do these things on top of their existing jobs because they want to build something cool they want to build something fun and they want to build something that impacts people um on on the volunteer side we just decided we wanted to have a paid volunteer program it was just a decision that our executive team made and we just figured out how to make it happen um we partnered with a group called pledge one percent 
and they encourage companies to pledge 1% of their product, their time, their profit, and or their equity. Um, So we've pledged 1% of our time and 1% of our product. So we focus on those two areas as part of our pledge. And for us, that's three days a year. So every employee at Postmates gets three paid days of volunteer time. And we plan events for them uh, just by reaching out to local groups who need help, asking them what we can do, checking their calendars of events, using resources like Hands on Nashville. Uh, And we make Google spreadsheets for people to sign up on, free, easy access to these things. And we share it out with employees using a wiki or using Slack, all pre-existing technology that we were already using on a daily basis. So employees can sign up when they're um, available to volunteer and they go out and do it. And then they record that time and they get paid um, to go out there and volunteer. That's awesome. And I mean, there's no better way to build a company morale than those, I mean, those two things, giving people an opportunity to be invested in the company and do something that is creating uh, opportunities for the greater good and to go out and volunteer and not only volunteer, but volunteer together and I just, yeah, it seems like a no-brainer to me and, like, it's only going to help the companies. And um, it's cool to hear about this Pledge 1%. Yeah. Really looking forward to looking them them up. (laughs) Hopefully they have the companies posted on there because I'll be much more likely to support the ones that are pledging. Absolutely. I mean, I think that there is a business case to be made for volunteer programs and for building technology for good using existing infrastructure because – Customers are more likely to order from companies that have a mission. I mean, think about the success of Tom's shoes. You know, everyone was wearing those shoes. Warby Parker gives glasses to people that when you you buy a pair, a pair gets donated. Um, These concepts are not new, and they're being researched and tested more and more as customers want to feel good about what they're buying. And that's great. I think it's a huge cultural shift that people care (laughs) about this. And it does help us attract the right talent and to retain the talent that we have because we have programs like this, because we have programs that allow employees to say, hey, Disney, I have this, this crazy idea. Like, what if we did this thing And I can say, hey, that's a good idea. Let's see how we can do it. And we work together on figuring out a way to implement that. And then at the next all-hands meeting, when we get to announce that we did this really cool thing or we built this really awesome product and we've moved thousands and thousands of pounds of food to people who need it, I can say, this was Sam Phillips and Chai. These are the two people who made this actually happen. And I know we don't do it for recognition, but I mean, how cool is it to get to to be acknowledged for (laughs) helping feed people who need food um, with food that was going to go in the garbage otherwise? You know, it's it's such a strange like world that we live in where this is a, a problem we have and we can find ways to solve it using our product. So why wouldn't we do that? Right. Exactly. And it just creates such a culture of openness And I think a lot of companies create, people are already afraid to fail. And then when a company creates a uh, culture where people, where they're going to punish people for trying something outside the box, it just, it never ends well in my opinion. So it's kudos to you guys for really intentionally creating that culture. You know, I have to give 
props to our executive team because uh, the executive sponsor of our team is our co-founder, Sean Place. And so he's my manager. And (laughs) just to see his excitement for this program and his support from the beginning and our, you know, our CEO, Bastian Lehman, he we we presented about Civic Labs at um, an all hands meeting in March of this year and talked about how we needed employees to help us build Food Fight and what we'd done already to prove that restaurants wanted this program. And after we made this presentation and talked about all the things we're going to need to build and how it's going to be this uphill battle to build this, but we can do it and we can make this happen. And we have all these great volunteer events coming up. And guys, this is a new culture we're we're building here like let's let's do this he stood up at the front for 30 minutes and talked about how important this program is and how relevant this is to the world today and how he wishes that he had started volunteering sooner yeah and if there's even one person in the company who's going to be able to be impacted by this and volunteer younger or sooner or whatever it may be to (laughs) plant a tree or help a dog or whatever it is that they're going to do as part of this program, it's really life-changing to get out of your comfort zone and help someone and just realize what kind of privilege a lot of us have in this world. Yeah, that's awesome. So with Food Fight, do you guys, are you looking to expand it to other cities now at this point? Absolutely. So we are so excited about what we're doing with Food Fight And um, I actually just left a meeting where we were talking about um, expansion because we launched it in L.A. uh, with 12 partner restaurants. So 12 restaurants we reached out to directly and they opted in and decided that they wanted to help us make sure it didn't explode (laughs) in a bad way. So once we got everything up and running for these restaurants, they were doing deliveries, everything was working, we were able to expand it out to another 300 restaurants. Um, So right now we have about 315 restaurants or so uh, using Food Fight or having access to Food Fight. And we're working with um, the city government in L.A. on – more uh, adding more shelters in uh, that need food that are going to be available at times when restaurants are looking to get rid of that excess food uh, so that we can open up another 500 uh, shelters in the next few weeks. So we're looking forward to that. We're having conversations with really cool places in Detroit and in Nashville and in San Francisco um, all about how we can bring Food Fight to those cities because our goal is to have Food Fight available for restaurants in every city that we service. Yeah, that's great. What are some of the barriers that you've come up against as you've been trying to implement and roll this out? The main barrier that we run up against, as have um, people who work on the Nashville Food Waste Initiative here that we work with, um, Linda from that team has been super helpful. But the biggest barrier is when restaurants and events want to give excess food away, it's usually at night. Uh, after the event is over, after the dinner rush is gone, you don't know you have excess food until right. night. Right. And a lot of the the places that need food or that accept food are only open kind of like a nine to five mm-hmm. type thing. So access to late night shelters has been the biggest barrier. So we're really trying to find unique ways to get around that. So we we have big dreams for this program, you know. 
having a, a partner a nonprofit that's nationwide that will allow us to put in refrigerators with key codes mm-hmm. so that we can have all the Postmates in that area that are within two or five kilometers take food to this refrigerator and punch in a code to put the food in. Mm -hmm. And then that gets distributed to places in the area that need food that can go access that with a key code. I mean, just think about what kind of huge network we could create by, uh, by solving the problem in this way. But it takes a lot of partnership and a lot of people joining this coalition to make this work. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's really incredible program. And I remember that's kind of the first thing that I learned about at Open Streets when I was talking to you as, and you guys were telling, you know, people walking by about about it with your bumper stickers. And <laughs> um, I just, I mean, I was like, this is a no-brainer. And, like, I work with so many different restaurants and just seeing, yeah, how much waste. And it, it's just really find myself at a lot of events where it's like just seeing food being thrown in the weddings trash. parties events i mean you name it there's food waste at yeah. it <laughs> yeah. it's crazy and there's so many hungry people i mean i think the number right now i mean there's so many different sources but i believe the current agreed upon number is that 40 percent of food in america goes in the trash I and just it. think about Someone being hungry and knowing that statistic, I mean, how infuriating is that? Right. How is there no one that has solved this problem? I mean, and I I think it's so incredible that this is what I get to do for work is try to solve this problem and a lot of other problems. We have uh, We had an employee today reach out to me that was really interesting, and he said, um, in San Francisco, one of the things that happens is uh, on, I guess, Tuesdays, but I thought it was Thursdays. Anyway, there's a day of the week where they get a code to use our pickup product. And our pickup product is um, you can open the Postmates app, you tap on pickup, and it will allow you to order from a restaurant and then go pick it up yourself. So mm-hmm. instead of having to call in the order, Um, And then wait for it. You order through the app just like you were getting a delivery. And then it tells you when the order is ready. It goes directly to the merchant tablet. So it reduces costs on their end. Everyone wins. So pickup is what it's called. (laughs) Um, And so we, when we build new products, we usually do something to let employees test it. So in San Francisco, people were testing it. They really liked it. Uh, And so now it's a thing. Every week, you get every employee in San Francisco gets a code to go use pickup for a, a restaurant in the area. Um, But then today this employee reached out to me and he said, hey, um, you know, I never use my pickup code ever. I never use it. And, you know, who knows why they don't use it. They just don't. Maybe they pack their lunch. Maybe they're on a special diet that can't be accommodated. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Anyway, um, he said, what if we could pool all of the money of unused pickup codes? Because I know I'm not the only one and donate that to a group, a nonprofit like Miracle Messages, which is a nonprofit we work with in the Bay Area, uh, that could then go toward feeding homeless people, give them the pickup codes, because I don't want it, but I want that $15 or whatever to go towards someone else. If we're allocating it anyway, what do you think? And I was like, wow, that is so interesting. And because I'm not in the Bay Area office, that's not something we have here, um, I would have never thought of that. And the fact that employees feel comfortable thinking about that and that they're even that they are thinking about it is just so cool that they want to talk about it they want to share the idea and tomorrow we're going to figure out like is this something that we can do yeah. um 
And I think it was spurred because we had a group of employees go out today with um, Kevin Adler, who is the founder, I think. Sorry if I'm wrong about that. But he works at Miracle Messages. Pretty sure he started it. Either way, he's really great. (laughs) And uh, Miracle Messages is this really interesting org that reconnects people who are experiencing homelessness with their family. So what they do is they have people go out and record videos of people who are experiencing homelessness who would like to reconnect with someone, and they give information like where they think that their family member lives, what their name is, what they look like. And then there's this online community of people who can watch those videos and then internet search and sleuth to try to find that person, reach out to them and say, hey, Joe is currently living on the streets in San Francisco and really wants to reach out with, out to you. Here's the video of, of Joe really wanting to talk to you. And we... <laughs> we as I mean I haven't done it they do it but the con- they, they reconnect these people um, and so today we had employees go out with Kevin and use Postmates to get food delivered so they shared a meal um, delivered through Postmates with these people so we said hey like what's your favorite like what's your favorite meal like let's get that delivered um, talk about what's going on like what can we do how can we help um, and they actually did reconnect someone today, uh, wow. and they got a video for another reconnection that this group of people is going to work on doing to reconnect someone with their mom. So wow, that's amazing! It's that's awesome. Just there's just so many incredible people doing this work. So I think having the flexibility to say like, you know, these things aren't <laughs> these things aren't directly tied to Postmates, but we have the ability to deliver food. We have these pickup codes. We have people who are great at the internet like how can we make all of these things work to help our community and I just think it's so cool that we have people who work here who want to invest their time and do that so true and it's it's neat that that's a way that our world is shifting and certainly not all there yet but I feel like 20 30 years ago companies were so siloed that it's like if you did want to do something you know you had kind of a social bent or a social mission for your life. It was like your only options were really to go work at nonprofits mm-hmm. or in, you know, maybe kind of like a government assistant type yeah. uh, job. And now it's so, and business, in my opinion and from my experience, just has so much more leverage, I think, in really quickly and efficiently solving those problems. And to be able to build those partnerships is just really incredible. The agility that we have and that startups have had to have, it's definitely a unique place to work and to be around and to say, hey, we have this problem. How are we going to solve it? And that's to make the business work. But then now it's beyond that. How do we make this new program work where we want um, employees to volunteer? We give them time to volunteer but how do we get them out there how do we find events that are going to be a good fit for them and what's going to really motivate people we know that not everybody is going to want um is not going to feel comfortable with um you know going out and having a meal with a with someone who's experiencing homelessness maybe they have a personal story that um doesn't allow them to do that right now but what they can do is do the connection online they can do that research and it's great that our company is so supportive of the program. Um, You know, we have right now 
we're about to hit 3,000 hours of volunteering this week um, for the year. So uh, this is the first year of our program, of the volunteer program, and 3,000 hours just feels like so much compared to what we did last year, which was zero. Yeah. (laughs) And what other companies are doing, some of them are zero. Like this program is just employees getting out there and being exposed to new experiences and new opportunities. So many people volunteer over and over again. And I know that there's some hesitancy to volunteer. Um, Maybe some people have never done it. Maybe it's been high school or college since they've done it just a long time. And I think nonprofits and schools are just so good at welcoming volunteers. And at this point, maybe a two or three hour volunteer event, you get information about the program, you get a specific task. And then if you're inspired to come back, you have experience volunteering there before and that anxiety can kind of wear off a little bit. So I think maybe the experience of volunteering is a little bit more curated now too, because it's such a part of our culture. Yeah, that's, that's cool. What is your view on, so you guys decided to call your department civic labs, but what's your view on corporate social responsibility jobs? And because, you know, we've been talking about it from the startup perspective, a lot of people that kind of fit that millennial demographic, I think slowly but surely you're starting to see some kind of older or more corporate organizations, maybe even just add like a corporate social like one corporate social responsibility employee or and and a lot of times it I think probably is more to check a box than anything else but where do you see the opportunity and do you see there becoming more jobs because I feel like I talk to you know at least one person a week that's like oh I'd love to get into corporate social responsibility but I mean in Nashville it's nearly impossible to find those jobs and some people are you know looping them into someone their legal counsel does their corporate social responsibility (laughs) wow they already have a lot going on though (laughs) exactly um well to answer the initial part of the question how do i feel about it i say check those boxes i think if there's a company that wants to add a team that has some kind of social mission to it Even if it is just to check a box, great. It's better than zero. It's better than doing nothing. And it really sucks to join a company that you think has a social mission and then realize that it doesn't. Um, So there are drawbacks on the checking the box thing. But I think overall, there's going to be someone at the company who cares. There's going to be somebody who champions whatever it is that they say they care about. Uh, as a company and who's going to make it happen, at least in my experience. I hope that we are bringing more of these types of jobs to Nashville and all over the country. I think it's so easy to add a team um, or a person or have somebody start supporting these initiatives as long as the executive team is supportive of it. It doesn't cost much. You can you can run it for next to nothing. Um, and it's such a great thing for employees. I know we don't we don't have exact numbers on retention or attracting top talent because of this, but I just talked to so many people that I work with who say, this is why I chose Postmates because mm-hmm. my friend works here and last week she volunteered at the Tuesday dance party at 50 Ford 
And it was life-changing for her. And to hear people say those things, it just feels so good to be able to do work that's so rewarding. And, you know, as part of Pledge 1%, we've been connected with the heads of social impact from other companies like Salesforce and DocuSign and Gliffy and other really awesome companies that are much further ahead of us in terms of what we're doing on the CSR or social impact or whatever you want to call it side. And I don't really think any of them call their team CSR, um, social impact or like box has box.org. Um, a lot of different ways that people are branding this. And for us, the product piece is so key to what we do. And that's why we called it civic labs. It's its own team at Postmates. It's its own department. Mm -hmm. Um, and, it gets the same respect as other teams, the the fleet team, the merchant team. It's their civic labs. Like these are all just a piece of Postmates. It's not some alternative reality that we live in. We just get to work really cross-functionally, which is super fun. Yeah, that's awesome. What are some other companies? I know we talked about like Lyft and Eventbrite as other tech companies in Nashville that are you know from San Francisco, but in terms of other companies in Nashville that you really see, and it may be those as well, but that you align with or you see also having really good CSR initiatives, are there some others, any others that come to mind? <laughs> or do you feel like you're on an island? <laughs> We're definitely not on an island. Um, I work with our VP of Public Policy, Vikram, a lot, and he's based in San Francisco, and so he makes a lot of the connections for me with companies in San Francisco, like Zendesk, who have really strong CSR programs. Um, but here, I mean, I feel like I run into Lyft people at every event yeah. <laughs> I go to. Uh, they they have a really cool program. They have a lot of really cool internal initiatives that they're doing as well for sustainability. They have a women's group that's really interesting. Um, they're doing some cool stuff over there. Uh, I'm sure there's other groups I just don't have any that are coming to mind right now. Um, but I think a lot of it is it's hard to publicize what you're doing in a way that feels genuine. Right. That's definitely a challenge that we mm -hmm. face. Um, since our program is still pretty new year and a half, I was really hesitant in the first six months to a year to publish a lot about what we were doing because I didn't want it to come off as, kind of what the the <laughs> I think the core of the previous question was is like CSR can be looked at as kind of this check a box not super useful not a ton of impact I didn't want to publicize what we were doing until we had real impact that we could mm -hmm. show real hours logged in volunteering real products that we could show that we had built that were solving real problems mm -hmm. um a mission statement that we felt really guided what we were doing, um, employees that were super bought in so that we knew this program wasn't going to be just something that happens in, in onboarding that you're told about and then never actually comes to fruition. This is a super real, live, growing program that has a ton of, um, ton of speed behind it. And it's really exciting to be a part of that and to hope, and, and I hope that other companies, maybe they have newer programs, they've, feel comfortable publicizing what they do, maybe even earlier on, um, because that is a regret I have, is not talking about it sooner, mm -hmm. because I think uh, we 
are not well known for this. And it's become such a beautiful part of what we do and such an integrated part. And I really want to share it with people. Um, and I think maybe next year we'll, we'll do a better job at that. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get that. And I mean, just even to hear you coming from that place is really special that it's something that you guys want are truly, I mean, obviously just hearing you talk even for, um, throughout all the last previous questions, it's so obvious your heart behind it, but even the way you guys are approaching it as a company is really neat. It's a balancing act. You know, you don't want it to be just something you publicize. Like, we threw money at this thing. Like, look at how good we are. Like, that's not what this is about. This is long-term sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a partnership with La Cocina, which is a nonprofit incubator kitchen in the Mission District of San Francisco. Uh, and what they do is... Uh, minority women who want to start food businesses can apply to be a part of this incubator program and it will give them access to a commercial kitchen, financial planning, support with a business plan, and then once they're ready, access to catering jobs or help finding a retail space or uh, input into grocery stores. Uh, And it's such (laughs) such an incredible program. And what we talked about with them is, yeah, we'd love to support you all, uh, what do you need from us? And of course, financial support, um, sponsorships, street food festival, um, the gala, different events they do. Great. We're happy to do those things when we can, but long-term, how do we support the brick and mortar locations that graduate from them? That's a more interesting long-term question. And so we thought, okay, we should do delivery for them. This is our business model. So can we do cost-neutral delivery. We can. We can make this happen. So we do cost-neutral delivery where we don't make any money on the deliveries that we do from these La Cocina grads. uh, And they have access to a delivery platform at a super affordable rate, no monthly cost, where they now are able to just add that to their bottom line. They're not having to worry about delivery. They're not having to be approached by salespeople saying, hey, <laughs> go with us, do this right. thing. It's this percent of commission, blah, blah, blah. It's done. Right. They now can focus on providing the great food, the quality, all of these things that they do. And this is now solved for them. Yeah. And we've committed that every graduate of the La Cocina program will get this cost-neutral delivery with all of the benefits of a traditional partnership. And that, to me, that long-term sustainability is more important um, than just like a one-time thing where we can say, oh, we partnered with this great nonprofit. We did this one thing. We took this photo. That's cool. Nonprofits need money, and I think that's something that people who work in this sphere need to recognize, that nonprofits need money. Um, And there is (laughs) a budget that these teams that are doing this at companies need to allocate where they can. Um, I think it's ignorant to act like just throwing volunteers at a at a problem is good enough or just doing one thing one time is good enough. It's not. This long-term sustainability and financial contributions, when possible, are important. Um, this is how nonprofits exist. And when they're doing great work that you support, volunteers, super helpful, um, especially when you can provide weekly volunteers like we do at some of the organizations here in Nashville especially. Um, but you know, it's <laughs> it's rude to a nonprofit to act like financial support is, like, not important. Right. No, I mean, it's so true. Like, and, and that's, I think, was, like you said, the heart of my question behind these 
companies creating a CSR position and then, you know, organizing a volunteer event at a different nonprofit once a quarter because it's really underselling the value that the company could add. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of times while hands-on volunteering can be really great and transformative, I think, for the volunteer, they're thinking about it from a sustainable lens is really important for long-term change. And, you know, companies even outsource different parts of their organization where they may not have a strength and nonprofits should have the opportunity to do the same. Yeah. So. For sure. Kudos. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I wish I could say I thought of all this, but it's really been a, a work in progress. There's been so many people who have helped shape this program into what it is today. And it's just been such an incredible experience. I mean, this is not my background. This is not what I've done before. And to be able to say that (laughs) this is what I do for work when I meet new people, it's pretty crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, it's, it seems like it's been a really great team effort. So tell me a little bit more about why, why Nashville for Postmates? So you guys had started in San Francisco, Bay Area, and then you decided to open an office in Nashville, which Mm -hmm. has to have more employees now even than San Francisco? Yes, it's our largest office. So, and then do you have offices anywhere else other than Nashville? We do. We have a few small offices that host, you know, 1 to 15 people around the country, and then we do have some remote employees. Oh, and we have an office in Mexico City. Gotcha. That's a fun one. (laughs) Hopefully you get to visit that one sometime. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm always jealous when people come back from trips to to that office. Yeah. Um, So why Nashville? Okay, so Postmates was founded in 2011 in San Francisco. And I joined in 2013. And at that point, um, I was the 15th employee. So still pretty small, two Mm -hmm. years in. And we had a goal to hire our first customer service employees at that point in time. Uh, So I started, um, joined the customer service team. There was about three, four of us, maybe. (laughs) Some of them were part-time. We only were servicing San Francisco then. Uh, If I remember correctly, it was a great day if we did 50 deliveries. (laughs) Um, And it was was, uh, pretty wild, you know. This is this new company doing this new thing old concept um current bike courier delivery long been, been in existence especially in places like new york chicago for a long time mm-hmm. but how can we use an app and technology to build this so uh we were doing a lot of different stuff um answering the phone placing the orders uh <laughs> customer service team used to place the orders which is hilarious to me now um i know how to pronounce all kinds of crazy food because of that um <laughs> and We answered the phone for customers. We answered the phone for restaurants. We called couriers. We told them when the food was going to be ready. We changed their delivery when they (laughs) didn't want to do it anymore. Um, I mean, it was very manual and very unique. Uh, And so for someone joining the customer service team, we were hiring for it. It was like, oh, this is actually an operations position. You're kind of this universal person who makes it happen. Um, The customer places the order, the customer gets the order. And what happens in between is all the magic that this customer service team is figuring out how to do. 
So we started hiring for the team. A lot of really awesome, cool, interesting people who were super stoked about what we were doing, who were really open about giving feedback like, hey, this thing that we're doing takes four and a half minutes. If we did it this other way or if engineering were to build this feature, we could actually do it in one minute. Like think of how much time we could save, how much faster these deliveries would be. And so we started working directly with the product and engineering team to build new features to make the customer service team more efficient um, and make deliveries better for the for the fleet um, and for the restaurant. So we started growing that team, working more on product, um, hired about 100 people for the customer service team because we started growing into more cities, doing more deliveries. Um, we went from being open from, I think, 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. Uh, on a Monday to being a 24-hour operation in three cities on a Thursday. Uh, so we've had so many interesting things that have happened over time. The customer service team kept growing and growing, and we started to specialize the team. So we realized, hey, we need one team that can really focus on our customers, one team that can really focus on our merchants, and one for our fleet. So we separated it into three teams so they could have a lot more specialized knowledge and work directly with engineers building those separate products. Um, The restaurants have tablets, the fleet have a fleet app, and the customers use our traditional customer app. And to have knowledge about all three of those things is unrealistic. So we started separating those out. Um, And then uh, after about two years, I think it was in 2015, don't like hold me to that. Um, I had been working on uh, starting our sales team uh, with another, with a a guy that worked there. Um, And so we co-created our sales team, started working with restaurants uh, to provide exclusive benefits to to them um, for partnering with us. So we started our partner program. Um, And then, like I said, I left for a year um, to go work at an animal protection nonprofit in L.A. that I was super passionate about. And in that time, um, the person that we had hired to to take over and and run customer service uh, had this idea, like, hey, we should move this to Nashville. Costs are rising in San Francisco. We want to make sure that we can pay a living wage. It's, it's not super sustainable because we keep adding new markets. We keep growing. We keep doing more and more deliveries every day. Um, Nashville seems like a great place for us to have our customer service team. There's tons of call centers there. There's tons of people who work in the healthcare industry. There's just a lot of talent, a lot of colleges that we could support with this um, income for people who are looking for, you know, an entry-level customer service position where they could grow into a position on the merchant support or the fleet support team where maybe it's a little bit more like elevated service where they're talking on the phone or, um, you know, talking to super, um, you know, high-volume restaurants, things like that. So uh, that's when that's when I got brought in was this idea that, hey, we're moving to Nashville. <laughs> And we want you to move there too. So uh, it just seemed like a really great idea. Um, I can't say that I know all of the details of of what made Nashville the choice for us. But, I mean, the talent that existed here um, and the cost of living definitely um, made sense because we knew that we were going to keep growing and keep hiring. And we knew we could provide a great experience for people out here for employment. Um, and pay a, a wage that made sense for the company. Yeah, that's cool. So um, another technology that has recently landed in Nashville are the Bird and Lime scooters. <laughs> yeah. Has there been any talk <laughs> of partnership with them uh, or in terms of like 
deliveries because when you're thinking about traffic, like those could almost be quicker. I don't know. That just popped in my head. And yeah, um, it's some, I am amazed how it's already changed the way of traffic flow and just the commuting options for a city that's very lacking in public transit right. options. So is this, has there been any talk of partnerships here? <laughs> Personally, I love the scooters. They're super fun. Uh, they help reduce congestion on the roads. Um, those are people who are not in their car, who are choosing an alternate um, an alternate form of transit. Uh, I think they're a super positive contribution to the city. Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of drama around it, and I understand why. Um, but overall, I think anything we can do to help people choose not to take a single occupancy vehicle or a ride by themselves in a car is a great thing. With that being said, um, I have not talked to them. (laughs) I I can't say if anyone has or hasn't. Um, It definitely hasn't come across my desk. But, um, I mean, if someone wanted to do it on a scooter, I suppose suppose they could. Um, Right now, the way it works in the fleet app is when you open it, it um, asks you what form of transit you're taking. Uh, So a bicycle, um, like a scooter, like a moped, Mm -hmm. a motorcycle, a car or a truck or van. Um, and that uses our that helps our matching algorithm match the right delivery with the person in the fleet with the postmate. So uh, we don't have lime scooters or bird scooters or scooter in general as an option other than like a moped motorcycle situation. Uh, but you know, who knows? we've we've done um, partnerships with uh, electric scooter companies uh-huh. um, and we definitely want to encourage um, people to take transit options that make sense. Um, but at the same time, with Postmates, you know, this is an additional way for people to make supplemental income and they can do it with whatever vehicle type they have. Right. So unlike, um, you know, a company like Uber where you have to have a specific vehicle year, a specific condition of a car, four, four doors, X amount of seatbelts, et cetera, um, those, those things don't apply. So for somebody who maybe doesn't have access to that, uh, they can still do Postmates. Right. And so not excluding them from that is really important. Um, but, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if during a warmer month I got a delivery on a scoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's just interesting to think about because I guess now you're – is there any public transit option for people – that like I don't know if y'all are in New York, but we can are, people yeah. take the subway if delivering food or people who do deliveries for Postmates are independent contractors, so uh, they they can do whatever right. they choose, right. whatever is going to make the most sense. Um, being on the subway would not allow you to have access to cell phone reception, right? Um, so that might cause an issue um, between the Postmate and the customer. Yeah, um, but. Most of the deliveries are going to be close enough that, you know, if it was something um, that was going a far enough distance that would make sense to take the train, you would probably have a car on that distance. Right. Um, you know, versus a, a bicycle or a or a walker because um, yeah. walking is also an option okay. um, in cities like that. Cool. It's all interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's <laughs> I think that's the cool thing about uh, working at a company that's so agile is there are. Lots of options. I mean, it's we're we're always working on innovation and, yeah. and how we can make uh, make things 
better. Um, one of the things we released this year is batching. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it allows couriers to pick up multiple deliveries that are going to a similar area from the same restaurant. Yeah. So that allows a, a Postmate to walk into um, a restaurant like Wild Cow or Graze or whatever the restaurant is, um, pick up the five orders or three orders from customers that have placed orders there that are going to a similar place and they get paid for each delivery. Yeah. So that really helps them earn more income, yeah. uh, which is really what we focus on is how can we make this the best gig economy um, position available mm -hmm. for, for someone in the fleet. Um, and we do that through having an entire team dedicated to doing that, building products like batching, uh, and then also doing things um, in conjunction with our public policy team, like providing access to like health savings accounts and uh, helping with open enrollment in healthcare, uh, working toward portable benefits for independent contractors. Uh, you know, I don't think that companies should be ignoring these things because the f <laughs> the gig economy is not going anywhere. So no matter how you feel about it, um, there's things that we can do. There's concrete steps that we can take to make these these things that people are doing, um, Postmates, Lyft, Uber, whatever it is, they can be more sustainable forms of income um, for people if we take the right steps today. Right. Um, so really looking at that and, and what we can actually do, I think is really important. And <laughs> companies to come together and, and say, hey, I know we're competitors in the world, but we need to come together on this because we're all part of the gig economy and making sure that people can make the most money possible doing this is really important. Yeah, absolutely. What is your favorite thing about working for a West Coast-based company in Nashville um, that you feel would be difficult to find if you worked for a Nashville-based startup? Well, I think I would like to think that a Nashville-based startup would have some of the same or similar values that we have, but um, <laughs> the idea of working at like a tr more traditional company now that I've worked at Postmates is really hard to uh, to think about. <laughs> Yeah. Um, the, the autonomy that we have to make decisions and to have brought these benefits as an, <laughs> is, is awesome. I mean, we have full health vision and dental insurance for employees from day one. That's awesome. That is like, whether you're customer service, whether you're an engineer, it doesn't matter. You get the same benefits package. And I think that that's really incredible. We provide stock options to all of our full-time employees. Mm -hmm. You know, those types of, of benefits, I think, are things that are not traditional at a more, um, I don't know, established company, I guess, a more traditional company, whatever you'd like to call it. And these opportunities um, – are great. I mean, I think that <laughs> we we just see it as this is like the the barrier to entry is we do all of these things. We have um, catering on you know the first Monday of the month in Nashville, and we have snacks and food and fresh fruit and all of these things available. We we provide compost and recycling um, and information about these things. We did a national voter registration day. Um, just the openness we have to doing these things that are important that I feel add to people's lives in a meaningful way. I mean, 40 hours a week is a lot of time to spend somewhere away from your home. It shouldn't suck. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to Amen suck. To that. Um, <laughs> and so I hope that, I hope people have enjoyed 
or do enjoy working for Postmates. We've really tried to make it a great place to come and we always try to iterate on it and see what we can do. And we listen to people and, you know, I, I know I'm sure people would love to, um, you know, have a massage every day and have catered lunch every day and, you know, <laughs> work four hours a day or like things that, you know, obviously we would all love, but, uh, within reason, I think we've done a great, a great job at providing, um, opportunities for advancement, a nice work environment, um, and real benefits for, for people and for their families. Yeah, that's awesome. So moving on to a few more personal questions, what does a day in the life of Disney look like? <laughs> from the beginning or, <laughs> or at work? You just include <laughs> from the beginning, you know. Uh, well, I wake up and <laughs> uh, I have a really cool dog. I love her so mm-hmm. much. Her name is Bella Penelope Waffles. <laughs> and um, she's a rescue Pomeranian Papillon mix that I adopted when I lived in L.A., and uh, she is my best friend. And uh, so we wake up, we go on a little walk um, around the neighborhood. You know, living in Nashville for the past three years has been really cool because it's a new, definitely a new experience for me. Um, <laughs> having a neighborhood to walk around, I mean, <laughs> it's, just, it's just different. You know, we have a backyard and there's these things that you take for, for granted, I think, if you don't have, if, if you have it. But coming from somewhere where, you know, you live in a 400 square foot apartment at best, right. <laughs> um, if you're living alone, um, you know, to being able to have more space, to have trees and greenery and seasons and weather and, you know, all of these things is really cool. So um, do that. Coffee, obviously. Um, go to work. And uh, I work with my best friend, Jessica, uh, which is really cool. She's our awesome office manager. So, I mean, how cool is it to work with your best friend every day? Yeah. Um, we met at work. So. Nice. Don't <laughs> another plug. For don't criticize me. Uh, didn't hire her. Well, I did, but we weren't friends then. But now we are. Anyway, uh, she's really cool. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone hates sitting at our desk because we talk all day. Uh, but it's great. And uh, I promise I get my work done too. Obviously, but uh, yeah, um, come in definitely check in with the employees I mean we have a lot of people on the team try to talk to them ask them about their weekend their day um, ask them how they felt about um, our last meatless Monday that we hosted or um, you know today I I ran into this guy that we work with Zachariah who's awesome he hosts so many volunteer events he's he's just unemployed not on not on civic labs he just comes to me all the time and says hey I want to do this event can you help me set it up Uh, and the other day I saw him in the front of a, a training class and I was like, Zachariah, what are you doing? And he's like, Oh, I, I have this new position. I'm doing this stuff. Like, this is so cool. Like, this is so interesting and fun. And I'm like, wow, like good for you. Like good things happen to like, you know, people who are really taking, taking these initiatives. And I love to see that the volunteer program in that piece helped him right. to get a new position. You know, that was like a plus for him yeah. when he was interviewing for a promotion, which is cool. Um, so checking in with people, taking a look at all of the upcoming volunteer events, um, looking in our Slack channel at all the photos that people post from the volunteer events that they've done, reposting them, sharing them with, um, with our executive team talking about the great work we're doing. Um, and 
answering a million emails um, because I think that's the biggest thing about having a volunteer program like ours is it's so new and it's so fluid. How do we make sure that people are doing what they need to do to get paid and um, make sure that we're following all of our legal requirements and all of those like paperwork things? Um, right now we're hiring for a volunteer coordinator. So that takes up a ton of my time um, because we want to find the right person. Yeah. This will be uh, contrary to hopefully what it seems like civic labs is just one person right now. (laughs) Um, and so we're looking to add a second person. So this is a really key hire for us, someone who's going to be here in Nashville as a volunteer coordinator, um, helping us plan volunteer events for the entire country and for our office in Mexico. This is a big role. Um, so we're taking it very seriously and we have some really great candidates that I'm super excited about, um, in the pipeline. Um, Outside of that, then Jessica and I usually Postmate lunch, uh, which I hate to admit. I looked at my Postmates order history the other day and was like, wow, I should really stop buying so much on Postmates. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, and then um, just a lot of of work talking to – our San Francisco team, mm-hmm. once they get into the office, since they're you know two hours behind, right. um, talking to them about the the most up to date uh, updates on food fight. We're building this really cool disaster relief store, so getting people on board for that, building um, product specs, RFCs, um, putting documents together, presentations together, talking to new hire classes about the volunteer program, making sure that everyone is just informed about all of the different things that we're that we're doing in the office and that they can participate in so that everyone feels like they're a part of it um I don't know I guess every day is a little bit different but then I would say go home hang out with my dog again because she's the best uh (laughs) definitely take a bath big big part of my day um make some great food and uh call my parents call my friends talk to them on the phone watch some TV, a lot of guilty pleasures for sure. Uh, and, you know, maybe go to yoga, yeah. go for a run, something like that. And yeah. then, yeah, call it a night. Cool. What are your favorite or your recommended Nashville outings and any favorite restaurants that you have that you'd recommend? Yeah, so I'm vegan, probably no surprise. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, and I love the Nashville vegan scene. I was very surprised by it um, when I moved here, I have to say, which is totally my own fault and a problem that I'm working to overcome. But, um, wow, the Southern V, have you been there? Yes. It is so amazing. It is, like, top five vegan restaurants I've ever been to, and I've been vegan for 11 years, so back when, like, tofu was the only thing you could eat— if you're vegan (laughs) and the Southern V just does uh, like this hot Nashville, like fried chicken. And it is like, it's mind blowing chicken biscuits on the weekends. Wow. So crazy. Gray's wild cow avo. I feel Mm -hmm. like avo is very underrated. Totally Um, agree. Avo is so good. Like that lentil walnut burger. They have a, okay. They have a sandwich. (laughs) I could talk about food all day. They have a sandwich that is called the broccoli sub. And I'm like, God, that's so stupid. I would never order that. And someone ordered it that I was eating with. And I had a bite and I was like, wow, I'm going to order this. Who knew that I would want a sandwich that only has broccoli on it? It was so good. It's just seasoned so well. And just the sauce is so delicious. Uh, I love food. Um, 
wow, there's so many great options here. Um, even places that are not vegan restaurants have great vegan options. Two Tin Jack, vegan ramen, um, Namzilla, vegan sushi with f- fried stuff in it. I mean, it's like not just salad. I mean, I honestly don't remember the last time I ate a salad in Nashville. <laughs> uh, Ian Rose. Yes. Love them. The place is delicious. Obsessed. I just had their pumpkin bowl. Oh, it's like- my God. <laughs> it is unbelievable. <laughs> Like, how do I make this at home? (laughs) I think I had ordered something else, and then I saw that on the special sign and was like, wait, I need the pumpkin bowl. (laughs) I need it now. Um, Ian Rose was actually our most recent Meatless Monday uh, caterer. And, you know, I think it's just so interesting. You know, we do Meatless Monday the first Monday of each month where we bring in a caterer um, into our Nashville and SF office uh, and do free catering for our employees. And we just— it's not like preachy or anything. It's just here's some new stuff that you may have never tried before. Um, it's free. Give it a chance. And the reason we're doing this is because meat is the number one contributor to climate change. Mm-hmm. And if you can go meatless on Monday, you are drastically reducing your emissions. So it's just introducing this concept of, you know, if you can try to eat less meat, I mean, it's it's a huge impact on the environment. We're not telling everyone they have to go vegetarian or vegan, but here's some great options you might not have known about. And maybe a lot, I mean, honestly, a lot of people don't know that meat is the number one (laughs) contributor. So uh, I think that education piece is important um, about it as well. So um, Ian Rose was last, was uh, November and uh, December is going to be from Far East. We're doing a um, vegetarian pho bar. Uh, So people will like build their own like bowls of delicious hot soup since it's 40 degrees outside. (laughs) Exactly. We've had some really fun ones. We did um, White Castle Impossible Sliders and Fries. Nice. Um, (laughs) I picked them all up in my car and was like, oh my God, my car is never going to (laughs) stop smelling like Impossible Burgers (laughs) and Fries. Uh, It has, luckily. But um, yeah, it's been so fun to introduce people to new foods that um maybe they they haven't tried before but yeah there's a a ton of options here in nashville that's pretty much what i do with my time or um you know go to hot yoga of east nashville i love that place so much um yeah i'm a big i'm a big homebody outside of of going to work yeah um and last but not least any advice that you would give listeners who want to get into tech, food and beverage, or most importantly, an intersection of the two in Nashville? For sure. Um, there are tons and tons of opportunities available at these companies. Um, Postmates, Lyft, Eventbrite, like I mentioned. I mean, I feel like we're this weird like group of three, this trifecta. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's also great companies out here like House as well that have similar um I don't know, agendas, I guess, ideas, not the same company, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think the the advice is apply. Even if you don't think that your experience is exactly what the company is looking for, it's really worth it to apply for a position at these companies and go to the interview, see the offices, see if this is a good fit for you. Um, because retail experience restaurant experience, those are what a lot of these companies are looking for for an entry-level customer service position. And even if you might feel that you're above an entry-level position, 
That's fine. A lot of these companies have really great career paths into more advanced positions once you get your foot in the door. Once you've shown them what you can do, um, you're going to be able to move up. Um, so it is like, you know, hard work. It is dedication, um, sometimes schedules that you're not super stoked about. But uh, getting in and, and seeing if it's a right fit for you and really trying um, when you get there. I mean, it's really going to be uh, – at least I can speak for, for Postmates. And I have a lot of friends who work at Lyft who really love it there and Eventbrite. They're in the same building as us. We work really closely with them. Um it's cool. It's a good place to work. Um, if if it works for you, give it a chance and apply. I mean, don't be don't be afraid to uh, to give it a chance. Yeah, that's great. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Yeah, thank thank you, you so much. Yeah, <laughs> thank you for taking the time out. And I learned so much, and I know our listeners will too. And awesome. um, Best of luck as you continue to grow Civic Labs. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, If anyone is interested in getting in touch, um, I'm always happy for people to email me. It's Disney at Postmates.com. Would love to chat with people who want to know more about what we're doing uh, because we just want to amplify the work that we're doing. We don't want it to be siloed. Um, We want to help people start these programs at their companies, whether it's one person that works there or or a hundred. It doesn't matter. We want to help implement really cool, fun programs that make sense for them. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. Please reach out to share your experiences with us by emailing new in Nashville podcast at gmail.com. You can also sign up for our mailing list and access our social media at www.newinnashvillepodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, please review and subscribe on iTunes and refer our podcast to a friend today. Thank you to Jared Anderson of Evergreen Productions for producing and engineering our podcast. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time. The music in this episode is provided by Carrie Ann Larson. She is a singer-songwriter who strives to write songs that people hear their own stories in. You can find her music, including her latest single, Fairweather Friend, on all digital platforms.